Hi there! Welcome to Growpoint Timbagete Podcast. How are you today? We're so glad you could come and listen with us as we learn about Jesus' life here on earth. A few weeks ago, we learned about Jesus' teachings on how to be rooted and grounded in Him. The more you stay rooted, the more you are aware of Him. The intimacy with Him as you stay grounded is one of the grace-filled benefits that is worth being joyful for. Next on our series is called Empowered Witness. The more you are rooted and grounded, the more the inner person in you changes. And these changes in you can cause other people to want to know more about Jesus. Not only are we witnesses to His amazing grace, we are also empowered by Him. How? Why? All these we can learn during the next podcast. It's a good thing to note, beloved, that the Holy Spirit that empowered the apostles more than 2,000 years ago is the same Spirit that lives inside of you today. Be a powerful witness to our powerful God. Today we would look at Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 12, down to verse 41. We've looked at this passage in the previous message I have entitled, The Coming of the Holy Spirit. And we looked at the overview of what took place on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was given from heaven as a fulfillment of the promise of the Father and the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now today in this message I have entitled, Preaching in the Spirit. We will consider the content of Peter's sermon, probably his greatest sermon, on the day of Pentecost. And we hope to learn precious and timeless truths from the Apostle Peter when he gave us the example when he stood up and spoke up for the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter here has embraced his God-given role as a leader and as a witness for Christ. And what we can learn from the Apostle Peter is this, and this is the main idea of our message this morning. A spirit-filled believer will boldly stand and clearly speak for Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world. Let me say it again. A spirit-filled, a spirit-controlled, somebody who is under the leadership, under the direction of the Holy Spirit will boldly stand for Christ and will clearly speak for Christ. And he will declare that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Because really, that is the work of the Holy Spirit in and through the believer's life. He empowers us. He enables us to stand boldly, courageously, and yet with compassion Declare and preach the good news of salvation, which is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. You see, when the Holy Spirit came like a mighty rushing wind, He filled the place and the people who were the disciples of Jesus Christ were sitting and waiting for the promise of the Father as instructed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they began to worship God. They began to praise and proclaim His wonderful works using Various languages they never previously learned before. And thousands and thousands of people heard the sound of the mighty rushing wind and it got their attention. And so they gathered together in that place, people from at least 15 geographical locations with different and varying dialects and languages. They gathered together to see what was happening and they were greatly astonished and amazed when they heard 
the disciples were mostly from Galilee. They were mostly Galileans speaking okay, in their own tongues, in their own language, in their own dialect, proclaiming the wonderful works of God. The crowd was confused. They were perplexed. They, will, they were bewildered, as the Bible says. And some of them mocked, but others asked this question. What does this mean? What does this mean? And really here in the sermon of Peter, he answered two important questions. The first one I already mentioned, what does this mean? And later on, after the explanation of the apostle Peter, they will ask in response, what do we need to do, brothers? What shall we do? And when they asked, what does it mean? It was at that moment that Peter stood up with the 11 and addressed the crowd to answer their question. Now, interestingly, remember this, just 50 days ago, this same Peter denied Jesus three times and he used words he've never, he has never used before. Okay? He cursed on the third time. He did that when he was confronted by a servant girl in front of a small group of people as they were warming you know, on that night when Jesus was unjustly tried. But now, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered and enabled by the indwelling Spirit, Peter stands and he speaks for Jesus before a large crowd of thousands and thousands of people. And that, the difference is this. And I've said this before, I will say it again. Now Peter is a Spirit-filled man. The Spirit of God enables the people of God to stand and speak for Jesus Christ the Son of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So again, what happens when the Holy Spirit, you know, when, when a Spirit-filled man stands and speaks for Christ? Learning from Peter, who probably did not expect to preach that day before thousands of people, we can learn that when a Spirit-filled man stands and speaks for Christ, there will be, first of all, clarity in the explanation. They saw this amazing, miraculous thing, you know, when mostly Galilean disciples were speaking in 15 different languages, different, you know, diaklitos or dialects that they've never known before. They've never studied the language. They just instantaneously, miraculously spoke using their own language. And they were astonished. Astonished, sorry, they were amazed, they were bewildered, they were confused, and they asked the question, what does this mean? And Peter stood up and provided an explanation. First of all, Peter explained what happened. And he told the crowd, what happened is, the Spirit of God has come. Peter started with a defense from the crowd's accusation. They thought, and they mocked actually, and they said that these men are just drunk with new wine. But it was still very early. It was far too early, 9 o'clock in the morning, for any Jew to be intoxicated with alcohol. And so Acts chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Third hour being nine o'clock in the morning. Instead of being drunk with wine, the disciples were filled with the Spirit of God. And this was described for us in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 to 32, which Peter will quote here in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 down to verse 21. 
Peter quoted that passage from Joel chapter 2. Now, when Peter quoted Joel chapter 2, he did not say that when the Spirit of God came, it fulfilled the entire prophecy of Joel. Joel, if you look at it, okay, by context, deals with the nation of Israel in the end times or the day of the Lord, in the last days. Okay? He's de- that's the context of Joel chapter 2. But when Peter quoted that, and when he said, this is what was spoken okay, by the prophet Joel, he meant that the coming of the Holy Spirit marked the beginning of the last days. He meant that this is the dawning of a new era, the dawning of a new age in which God would bring to completion his plan of salvation for all humankind. Jesus, through his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection on the third day, has done all the work that is necessary, all the work that is needed for redemption of men, and there is no more work that needs to be done except telling the world about this good news. And telling the world about this good news is this age called the age of the church, the age of grace. The sunset of that age. So if the coming of the spirit is the dawning of the, of the new age, the end of the new age or the sunset of the age would be the day of the Lord or the second coming of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When he will come. No longer as a savior, but he will come this time as a judge and he will establish his earthly kingdom. And here he will reign on this earth for 1000 years. So we can safely say this, that the passage quoted by Peter here in Joel chapter 2, okay, quoted here in Acts chapter 2 rather from Joel chapter 2, describes the beginning of the last days marked by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That will be verses 17 and 18. And the end of the last days marked by the day of the Lord, quoted here in verses 19 down to verse 21. And this is the explanation that Peter provided to the confused, perplexed, bewildered, amazed, and astonished crowd as they were witnessing, you know, these men and women speaking in their own language, proclaiming the wonderful works of God. They were not drunk with wine. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then the beautiful words found in verse 21, when it says, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever shall repent from their sin and whoever by faith calls on the name of Jesus and trust in him as their savior, God's promise is that they will be saved. Same same passage is quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 13. People need to call on the name of the Lord by faith to be saved. But then Paul took it a step further. He says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? But how can they believe unless they hear? But how can they hear without a preacher? But how can they preach unless they're sent? So here we are, as disciples, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, sent with this, for the same purpose, sent for the same mission, sent to spread and preach the same message. 
Jesus says, as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go preach the gospel to every creature. You are witnesses of these things. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He was buried. And the third day he rose again. And that is to be our message to the world. The hope of salvation by faith in Jesus Christ alone. We have been sent. We need to preach so people can hear and understand. And upon hearing and understanding, they can respond through repentance and faith. And then they will be saved if they call upon the name of the Lord. Our responsibility is to preach and proclaim an accurate gospel, a clear gospel message, and let the Spirit of God do His work of convicting men of sin, righteousness, and a judgment that is to come. And it is up to the hearer now whether he would believe or not. And this will lead us to Peter's next point. After he explained what happened, okay, that the Spirit has come, and that's the reason why they spoke in various languages, now Peter explained how it happened and partly why it happened. And that is because the Lord Jesus has risen from the dead. Verses 22 down to verse 25. And so here Peter will give some proofs and evidences of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that Jesus has risen from the dead and has ascended into the Father. And that's the reason why the Spirit has been sent and has come to dwell upon them to fill and control them and empower and enable them as his witnesses. And it happened according to God's plan, Peter said. Verse 22 to, down to verse 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. You are fully aware of this, Peter said. Now this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You murdered him. He was innocent. He committed no crime. And yet, he died a criminal's death. Verse 24, God raised him up, losing the pangs of death, the birth pangs, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So Peter moved from explaining what happened to explaining how and partly why the coming of the Spirit happened. The Holy Spirit came to baptize, to indwell, and to fill the believers because Jesus has already lived the perfect life. He has already died on the cross, and He has already rose again from the, from the dead on the third day, and He has already ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. And now... Is the time to fulfill the promise of the Father to send the Holy Spirit as Jesus told his disciples. Again, we remember the words of the Lord found in John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. In John 14, 16 and 17, Jesus said these words. He said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. In other translations, it's called comforter. To be with you. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Those are the words of the Lord. 
He said that when the time comes, I will ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to dwell with you and to be in you. That's the promise of the Father. John 16, 7, Jesus told his disciples, nevertheless, talking about you know, his departure and his ascension to sit at the right hand of the Father. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So now Christ has ascended to heaven. He has departed from his disciples. It's time to send the Holy Spirit. So, okay, reversing that argument, since the Spirit of God has come, and the evidence are clear. It confirms that Jesus has truly ascended into heaven. And if Jesus has truly ascended into heaven, then Jesus has truly resurrected on the third day. And if Jesus is truly resurrected on the third day, then Jesus is indeed the Messiah that he claims to be. You follow the logic there? You follow the reasoning? This is important. The Holy Spirit has come as the explanation of the amazing thing that they were witnessing that morning. And that happened through the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. In order for the crowd to understand, he pointed out a few things okay, concerning Jesus. He says, this is the Jesus from Nazareth. You know this Jesus. This is the Jesus that Peter denied before a crowd. Okay. Um, this is a real person, and you know him. You did not just hear about him. You saw him. You heard him teach. You saw his miracles. You saw his life. This is the Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, this is the Jesus attested to you okay, by many signs and miracles and wonders. By the way, there was a Pharisee who was a ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus who even acknowledged that. If you, turn back, if you turn to John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, this is what the Bible says. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, he told Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. And listen to this. He said, for no one can do these signs, talking about miracles and wonders. Okay, No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That's exactly the same thought that Peter conveyed okay, to this crowd before them that morning on the day of Pentecost. He says, this Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested or confirmed or verified by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God himself did through him. Okay? In your midst. And then Peter added, as you yourselves know. And then Peter uh, once again, pointed out, this is the same Jesus of Nazareth, and this is the same Jesus you killed and crucified. But God raised him up. Jesus died according to God's plan, so he can rise again from the dead according to God's plan. And his resurrection proves that he is the Messiah, that he is the Savior of the world. Now here, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, now stands before the crowd and speaks clearly 
courageously and compassionately to these people. That same Jesus from Nazareth, who performed many miracles, signs, and wonders that you saw, the, the Jesus that you crucified, this is the Lord and Savior. He is the Messiah. So Peter is simply saying this Jesus okay, that we know and that you know died according to the plan of God and he rose again according to the plan of God. And because he is risen and is alive and now sitting at the right hand of the Father, the Spirit of God was sent fulfilling the promise of the Father and the promise of Jesus. And that's how everything happened. Everything happened according to God's plan. So, okay, when Peter explained how it happened, okay, the coming of the Spirit, it happened through the resurrection of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus took place according to God's plan. Secondly, his resurrection happened according to biblical prophecy. And this time, Peter will use two Psalms to support his argument for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These Psalms, by the way, were written by David, but these Psalms could not have been fulfilled by David himself, but only by Jesus Christ. When you look at Psalm 16, verse 8 to 11, which is quoted here, okay, in verses 25 down to verse 28, this could not have been fulfilled by David because this Psalm speaks of someone whom the grave could not hold and who did not experience decay. Okay, let's read it. David says concerning him, that's concerning Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope, for you will not leave my soul in Hades, that's the realm of the dead, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption or decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Brothers, Acts chapter 2 verse 29. I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, Peter said, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. It's still there. He did not rise from the dead. So if David did not rise from the dead, okay, what was his psalm talking about? Who is this psalm talking about? David was talking about Jesus Christ. Okay? David was just a type of Christ. Therefore, he remained dead and he did not resurrect because his tomb is still with us today. It's still, you know, his dead body, his skeleton is still there. And there is a proof of that. So this psalm is not talking about David. He's talking about Jesus Christ. And then in Acts chapter 2 verse 30. And then down to verse 33. Peter went on to say this. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him. That he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. Now this is the explanation of Peter now. Okay. That he was not abandoned to Hades, that's the realm of the dead, nor did his flesh see corruption or decay. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Did you catch what Peter is saying? 
When he quoted Psalm 16, verse 8 to 11, the psalm that David wrote, he pointed out that this psalm is not talking about David because David's, you know, David's tomb is still here with us. Okay? Peter could almost say we can open it up today and we can, you know, see his bones. It's still there. So this is talking about Jesus Christ. And David simply, you know, had a vision concerning the resurrection of the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, and that is Jesus Christ. Peter says, we are witnesses of that. We saw the risen Savior. We talked with Him for, you know, 40 days. We were with Him. We had breakfast with Him by the sea. We heard Him, you know, give, uh, give to us His final instructions before He ascended into heaven. We are all witnesses of that. And another proof that he has resurrected and that he has ascended is the fact that the Holy Spirit has been sent. And that's what you're seeing right now. That's what Peter says. That's a proof. That's an evidence that Christ has indeed risen and Christ has indeed ascended, fulfilling his word in John 14 and John 16. And then the second Psalm is Psalm 110 and verse 1, which is quoted in verse 34 and 35. Acts chapter 2, 34, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Again, this cannot be fulfilled by David because he did not ascend to heaven. Jesus did. Jesus did. The only way to rightly understand these two Psalms is to believe in the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And when the Holy Spirit, by the way, is at work, there is clarity not confusion. That's what happened here. Peter stood up and he, gave, he provided an explanation when they asked, what does this mean? Why are we hearing you speak in our own language, 15 different dialects you've never known before? He explained to them, these are not drunk men, but these are men filled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come. And the Holy Spirit came because Jesus has risen from the dead. And his resurrection is proven by the fact that he has ascended into heaven. How do we know he has ascended into heaven? Because the Spirit has come. This is a fulfillment of the promise of the Father. This is a fulfillment of the words of Jesus Christ. He said, when I go to be with my Father, I will send the Holy Spirit, and he will be with you, and he will be in you. I will send you another comforter, another helper. And the fact that the Spirit of God has come, explains and confirms that Jesus has truly ascended, and if he is truly ascended, he is truly resurrected, and if he is truly resurrected, then he is indeed the Savior of the world. He is indeed the Messiah. Wow. There is clarity, not confusion. Last week, someone approached me after the message, and you know, she just shared the joy of her heart, and, and, and uh, you know, the thought of comparing what happened at the Tower of Babel compared to what happened at Pentecost? Because in both, you know, in both events, at the Tower of Babel, men spoke various languages, but the result was confusion. This time, men and women spoke various languages they've never known before, but the result was clarity. They had the opportunity to be clarified of what was happening. When the Spirit of God you know, came, there is unity. But at the Tower of Babel, there was division. 
They had to be divided. Going back to, to what Peter did, he obviously had knowledge he previously acquired, making him ready to be used by God at any time. That's what we can learn here. Peter knew the scriptures. Peter knew Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. He may have had, you know, conversations with this, you know, with the Lord Jesus Christ while he was here on earth. We can only speculate, you know, when Jesus started to prepare them for his departure, he may have had some private conversations with Jesus Christ concerning his departure and concerning the sending of the Holy Spirit. We don't know that because it's not recorded in the scripture. We can only imagine and speculate. But obviously, Peter had knowledge. Peter had an understanding, and that made him okay, a ready vessel, a ready instrument for the Spirit of God to use when there is an opportunity to stand and speak the truth. When Adijoy, the late Adijoy, the founder of SMC, was still alive, and I had a, the privilege and the opportunity to be, you know, to be serving the Lord with her, when I was a young Christian, just a newly, you know, newly uh, saved believer, I had the opportunity to go with her through to the e campaigns. And when you were, when we were with Ati Joy, we had a motto, okay, that we discovered as we spent time with her and go with her to the various campuses. And the motto was to be always ready to stand and speak, because you you just never know if Ati Joy will let you will let you stand up before a class. Before you know, before a crowd, or let you you know uh, approach individuals and share the gospel. So Ati Joy was like that, and we have learned to study before and be ready. Just be always ready to stand and speak and preach the gospel. That was the case for Peter, and that should be the case for every single one of us. Peter says, "Be ready at all times." To speak and to give an answer for the reason of the hope that is in us. So there is clarity of explanation. Secondly, there is courage in the proclamation. When you look at verses 36 down to verse 39, that's what we can see. Obviously, we can see the courage of Peter. From the moment he stood up to speak to the crowd. When Peter preached, he did not hold back the truth. He did not sugarcoat the message to make people feel good about themselves. Peter gave a clear explanation when they ask, what does this mean? And at this point, the crowd will ask another important question. So Peter will proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah courageously. Let's look at verse 36 and 37. Peter said, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Here's the second question. What shall we do? The proclamation of truth brings conviction. And now the crowd is asking, what do we need to do? And so in verse 38 and 39, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you. In the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, probably referring to the Gentiles. Everyone whom the Lord 
our God calls to himself. Now, Peter gave a very clear answer, and he did it courageously. He was not afraid to tell the truth. He was not afraid to proclaim the truth. He preached to them boldly and told them to turn away from their sins, that is to repent, and then told them to trust in Jesus Christ. Now, we may wonder and ask, what sin? Okay, what, what is this sin that they're talking about? When you consider the context, okay, it will inform us that it is the sin of not believing in Jesus Christ as the Messiah or the Savior. And that is proven by biblical prophecy and his biblical, I mean, his bodily resurrection. He is indeed the Messiah. That's, that's what Peter has been trying to drive here. And there are evidence, clear evidence that will support that argument. Now repent from not believing that he is the Messiah. Repent from that sin. That's what Peter is saying. Peter told the crowd how to be saved and that they must turn away from sin and trust in Jesus Christ. Because genuine faith in Christ okay, result in genuine conversion and salvation in Christ. Now Peter says, repent and be baptized. Because genuine faith in Jesus okay, leads, okay, leads to authentic public identification with Christ. People would give proof of the genuineness of their repentance and faith in Christ by being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, especially in their context and especially in their culture. Okay? When you publicly uh, get baptized, you are telling the world that you are now a believer. You are now a follower of Jesus Christ. And that may mean persecution. That may mean opposition. That may mean a radically changed life. That may mean going against the culture. And it was not an easy thing to do. That was the proof of their faith. Now, obviously, Peter was not teaching that salvation is through faith, repentance, and baptism. When he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins. The word for, quote-unquote, in the phrase for the forgiveness of your sins, makes it sound like repentance and faith and baptism are the requirements for salvation. However, the word for, okay, in that phrase for the forgiveness of your sins, is from a Greek word that I could not even pronounce, E-I-S, okay, eyes, or A's, and that can mean this, on the account of or on the basis of. Therefore, what Peter preached can be translated as follows. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, on the basis of the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, you get baptized, not, be, not so that you will be saved, but you get baptized because you are already saved, because you are already forgiven. On the basis of your forgiveness, on the basis of the forgiveness you receive from Christ, you get baptized. And how do you receive forgiveness? That's by turning away from your sins, repentance, and by trusting in Jesus Christ alone. That's faith. That way you receive forgiveness. And when you are forgiven, when you receive forgiveness of your sins, then go and be baptized. Go tell the world that you have already, already you know, repented and trusted Christ and you have been forgiven of your sins. 
a careful observation okay, of the sermons of Peter will also inform us that baptism is not part of salvation. It's not part of the gospel. In fact, okay, in his other sermons, he did not mention about baptism. So we don't get baptized to be saved. We do it because we are already saved and we want to tell the world about it. Thirdly, you know, there is clarity of the explanation. There is courage in the proclamation. And thirdly, when a spirit-filled man stands and speaks for Christ, there's also compassion in the invitation. Verse 40 and 41, And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. Yes, there is clarity. Yes, there is courage. But there was also compassion. When a believer preaches the gospel in the spirit, the heart is filled not with condemnation, but with compassion for those who are still lost and those who are moving closer each day to hell. Peter did not, you know, judge them or look down on them. Peter, in fact, took the time and effort to help people understand the gospel of salvation through Jesus. The Bible says, with many other words, besides this long sermon that he already preached to them, he bore witness to them with many other words. And he continued to exhort them. He continued to expound the truth and explain it to them so that they will understand. And then he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. How? By turning away from your sin, the sin of unbelief, the sin of not believing in Christ as a Savior and the Messiah. And then trust in Him as your Savior. Trust in Him as your Messiah. He pleaded until people responded in faith and 3,000 souls gladly received his message and were baptized that day and they got saved and were added to the church. They too received the promise of the Father. They too received the gift of the Spirit and they were baptized and they became members of the church on that same day when they repented and trusted in Jesus, their Savior. They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were baptized by the Holy Spirit, becoming members of the body of Christ. And then they enjoy the fellowship and the community of the believers as preachers, okay, as witnesses of Christ. That should be our attitude. That should be our motivation. It's not because we know better than other people. Although, yes, we know the truth. But, you know, we don't go there with pride and arrogance. We don't go there, you know, pushing people around and shoving the truth down their throat. We don't go there forcing them and making a, you know, uh -huh. Uh, and, and pointing out to them how, how foolish they are and, and so on and so forth. We go there with compassion. We go there with genuine Christ-like love. We go there because we love them enough okay, to tell them the truth. We go there because we love God okay, to obey His commands. And we go there because we love people. We want them to know the truth. We want them to get saved. We want them to go to heaven, not go to hell. I hope that's our heartbeat. And for us to do that, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit like Peter and the apostles. Because that's how a spirit-filled man stands and speaks for Jesus. He speaks with clarity, courage, and compassion. Thanks for the example of Peter.
The church okay, is called and commanded by her Savior, by, by King Jesus Christ, her Lord, to make disciples of all nations by preaching the gospel, baptizing the, the believers, and teaching them to apply God's word daily in their lives. That demands for all of us, members of the church, members of the body of Christ, as Christian believers, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, for us to become effective and faithful witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, wherever the Lord has placed us in this world. We now have a better understanding of how a spirit-filled believer stands and speaks for Christ. Now, as we conclude, I want us to imagine for a moment. Imagine if the whole church and all of its members are filled with the Holy Spirit. Everyone wakes up each day with the awareness of God's presence and, and filled with God's desire to see all men get saved. Imagine, okay, if we start our day with fervent prayers, not only for our safety and well-being, but more importantly for the salvation of those around us who don't know Jesus Christ yet. Imagine if we as believers daily ask God in prayer to fill our hearts with His love and compassion for all men and especially for the lost and pray for divine appointment and pray for divine enablement to speak this life-giving message of the gospel. When opportunity comes, we seize it, we take advantage of it, and we, we take it without hesitation, and we stand and speak for Christ, okay, with no hesitation, but with great expectation that God will use us mightily, that God will speak to us, and that people will hear the gospel, and they will understand, and they will be convicted, and they will be converted to Christ, and be included in the community of believers. Imagine waking up each day with those thoughts. Imagine living each day with the Great Commission as your personal God-given mission. I'm here to make disciples. I exist to glorify God by making disciples in the spirit of love. Think of how many men and women around you will be blessed through you. More importantly, think of how many precious souls, precious individuals who will hear the message, who will trust Jesus and get saved. An even more glorious thought. Think of that day of meeting countless numbers of people who get to heaven because you, filled with the Holy Spirit, stood up before them and spoke the truth, declared the gospel to them compassionately, lovingly. And you help people understand. You help people respond by repentance and faith. And that's why they're there in heaven. Imagine that. Oh, what unspeakable joy it will be. Wow. To me, brothers and sisters, that's real treasure. Eternal treasure that no thief and rust can take away. Wow. Now. You don't need to keep that as an imagination. That can be a reality in your life. So I have a few questions here. Will you allow the indwelling Holy Spirit to fill and control you each day? Will you please allow the Word of God to do its heart-changing, mind-renewing, life-transforming work in you by investing time each day to read it, to meditate it, understand it, and apply it in your life.
Will you please do that? Will you commit your life to God and fully surrender to Him? Will you completely trust God for life and ministry? Will you do that today? And will you faithfully pray for the church and with the church that the lost will be saved? Will you pray with me and will you pray with the church for the Spirit of God to come like a mighty rushing wind? We're not asking for another Pentecost. We're asking for a Pentecost-like outpouring of the Holy Spirit wherein people have a fresh awareness of His presence there will be conviction of sin and repentance of sin. And there will be salvation of men and women around us. Are you ready for the Spirit to work in and through you? Are you ready to seek and seize the opportunity to stand and speak for Christ? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we desire to be used by you as a church. We understand that we are here for a mission. And our mission is to make disciples of Jesus Christ of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that you have commanded us. But Lord, we cannot do it on our own. We need you, Holy Spirit, God. So please, Lord, we surrender to you. We give our lives back to you. Use us. Here am I, Lord. Send me. Make me a vessel. Make me your instrument. Make me your mouthpiece today. God, I pray that by the grace of God, I would be ready every day to seek and to seize every opportunity that you give, every divine appointment to speak for Christ and to preach the gospel with courage, compassion, and clarity. Only your Holy Spirit can enable us so work through us, your church, in telling the world the gospel, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. We give you praise. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, church. And God bless you.